Well, hello, and welcome back to another scary, scary edition of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I am your host, Stephen LeBooth, and I got some skilly, skilly stuff for you today, my friends. <laughs> so, how is everybody doing out there in podcast land? I'm doing fantastic. It's your host with the most, the scariest host around. It's Ghost Stories Told from the South with your host, Stephen LaBooth. <laughs> All right, I'll quit being a dork. Anyways, guys, welcome back to uh, Ghost Stories Told from the South. Like I said, I'm your host, Stephen LaBooth. I got some great stuff for you today. Some great, uh, gonna finish up doing prisons this week, and, uh, I mean, for this episode, and then after that, we'll, uh, get back on it, if you know what I mean, jelly bean, jelly bean, well, well, so, like I said, doing prisons, finish it up, and I don't have any idea, so if y'all got any ideas or anything you'd like me to talk about, just, uh, send me a message through my DMs on Ghost Stories Told From The South, my Facebook uh, my, uh, email is all lowercase, ghost stories told from the south at gmail.com. Yeah, if there's anything y'all like to send, uh, send me and I'll, uh, talk about it or something, or you tell me, uh, I don't know, if you got something scary, tell me. So, yeah, that'd be awesome. And yeah, man, if y'all want to send in some stories for the, uh, 100, uh, episode 150, my three year anniversary one. If you want to send in some scary stories for me to tell for that one, that would be very cool, very awesome. It'd be a way for me to repay the uh, audience, my fans, man, because I got a good following. I want to say thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I very, very much do. It's pretty awesome. I do this from uh, my house in a little bitty old town of Mineral Wells, Texas, and I get heard around the world, man. It's pretty amazing. I like telling these ghost stories. It's awesome. You know, and in the name sometimes throws people off. Why is it ghost stories told from the south? Well, it's just, I like ghost stories and I'm a southern dude. So I'm just telling ghost stories from the south. You know, not all the stories are from the south. I'm just saying, I'm the teller of the stories and I'm from the south. Do you understand that? But thank you guys. The numbers keep growing, keep getting bigger and better. And it's awesome. Like I said, there's a couple of uh, places, I believe Germany's growing in numbers, Canada, Spain, New Zealand. Um, I know there's some other ones out there, guys, and I'm sorry if I'm missing you. I know Brazil, but I'll wrap all that up and go in deep, deep and diving on it and give them shout outs and thanks to everybody who listens uh, on another episode, so. But, yeah, I just want to say thank you, guys, and you know how to make an old country boy feel good. <laughs> All right, let's tell some scary shit. What do you say, ma'am? Sorry, ma'am. It's 8 o'clock. I had a drink of Red Bull coming in record. Woo! All right. Our first story is... The Maxwell Street police station in Chicago, Illinois. <coughs> I have heard officers leave the department because of this house. It was it was a it was an, an anonymous statement to make 30 minutes into a job interview. He had appealed to uh, appealed to become a part-time officer at the Bull Valley Police Department, which, sir, like I said, he appealed to become a part-time officer at the Bull Valley Police Department, which serves as a small village uh, services a small village about an hour north of Chicago. Sixteen years ago, then Chief Sewer pulled out three ring. Bind, pulled out a three ring binder and let Hoffman look through it. This house is haunted, Sewer told him. 
Police in the paranormal are unlikely pairing. Officers are focused on finding solutions to problems using concrete evidence to solve mysteries. It is a mindless that is uh, oh the the madness that is odds with the uh, excuse me crazy world of the supernatural. Unfortunately, no one told the ghost of told the ghost some of some of whom would rather hang around police stations than shuffle out of the great out into the great beyond. So with Halloween lurking around the corner, the uh, officers magazine takes a look at a few police stations with haunted stories. All right, now this one um Okay. Before becoming the headquarters of the Bull Valley Police Department, the Chicago's Stingley House, another uh, fancy life, the massive home was built in 1865 by George and Sylvia Stigney, who practiced in supernaturalism and performed seances to talk to their dead children. Children. To supposedly these uh, stories, the house was designed with rounded corners and no right angles. Hmm. Current police chief feels lucky to work in such a unique uh, piece of local history. And as a carpenter by trade, he appreciates the craftsmanship craftsmanship that went into the building's construction originally from uh, nearby chicago dickens had and had been a, unaware of the house's uh, scary origins and airy aspects and in fact his wife a bull valley native who was uh, dating just before joining the department had to fill him in on the ghostly gossip about the house. Sorry if I'm flinging my papers around too loud. It wasn't long after, however, before Dickens had his own paranormal experience at the house. While working at his while working as an officer on the night shift, Dickens made a traffic arrest and brought the driver into the uh, station. Because he was the only officer in the building, Dixon handcuffed the driver to a bench and began to uh, doing the uh, booking and the paperwork. As he wrapped up his work, Dickens shared his history of the Stinkney House while he was uh, arresting, waited for his uh, wife to come pick him up. So this uh, cop started telling this guy that he just arrested while uh, about the ghost and stuff. While, uh, while he was waiting for his wife to come pick him up. Then they heard the three distinctive knocks at the front door. Thank it, uh, thinking it was the driver's wife, Dixon quickly opened it but found no one on the other side. I looked out to the parking lot, but nobody was there, he says. At this point, the guy's ghost white, the guy's ghost white and tells me, if you run out that door, you better throw me your handcuff keys and I'm or your handcuff keys at me so I can get the hell out of here. Since then, Dickens, who joined the force in 2016, rose through the ranks to become chief last year without any additional ruins run ins with the house's poltergeist like a ghost. But in the past year he but in the past year he's had two similar similar experiences he cannot explain. In both instances the top drawer of a large file uh file the top drawer of a large file cabinet would pop open when no one was in the building. I know they say some people are skeptical to seeing things or having things happen. I don't believe 
I've ever been one of those people because up until the uh, stinky house or stigney house, I've never experienced or had anything happen to me. I thought I was, I thought, uh, I thought, okay. He never had any experiences or had anything happen to him before he moved in or went to work at the police station. He thought he was uh, just odd, says Dickens. Nothing had ever happened to me until I started working here. Like Dickens, Hoffman is naturally skeptical when it comes to the paranormal and to the uh, laughed at the uh, chief when he said the house was haunted. But like Dickens Hoffman found the uh, paranormal intruder or the paranormal intruding into his life once he joined the force. In his sixteen in his sixteen years with the department, he has had five super super supernatural encounters excuse me in the building. They've ranged from metal chairs and Excuse me again. And office furniture moving in his presence to seeing a female figure that quickly disappears. He's had another officer talk and talk about seeing a soldier walking outside, uh, walking outside the house. And from the late uh, chief, he uh, he uh, inherited a photo showing a rearranged room with a water bottle stood upside down and chairs stacked on top of one another. He worked, uh, or, or stacked on one another. The work of an, uh, the work of a prankster, but it was the ghost that did it. Despite the strange going ons, Hoffman has not had the courage to turn his, to turn in his badge. I know that's house, I know that's house, he says, I do not have any bad vibes here. The unusual happenings at Bullville Police Headquarters haven't scared off Dickens either. None of the bizarre events that none of the bizarre events at the house have ever seemed uh, mean or threatening, and Dickens says he does not feel unsafe in the house. I'm very comfortable working there, he says. But when I but when I see something that's very out of the ordinary, I'm not surprised to see it. That's for sure. Intentionally, it grabs your attention a little bit, but then but that just goes away. That's just where I work. That is normal here. Yeah, maybe normal for you. See. Okay, now I'm sorry. When I did this, this was a uh, this is a different uh, police stations uh, around the Chicago area, and the Maxwell stories in here. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. The days of ghostly visitors, fidgeting furniture might be coming to an end. The village is considering relocating the police department to turn the home into a museum. The Maxwell Street uh, Street Station, one of Chicago's most infamous police stations, is known for its horrors, both human and supernatural. Now, this next little uh, station, this one is the Maxwell Street Station in Chicago. That's why I did all these other ones, because this story about the Maxwell one isn't very big. Like the Bull Valley one. Okay. In 1907, Chicago Trubin uh, Chicago article uh, complete with a with a illustration claimed the city had six haunted police stations. Ghosts of soldiers, a Polish laborer, and tramps were said to have wandered the halls of these buildings. In every station, one or more persons has died or have committed suicide, and these facts give rise to the numerous accounts of ghosts with each officer's in, er, entertain with. Oh, okay. To entertain themselves while waiting on the station on reserve on reserve duty. One Chicago, 
one of Chicago's most infamous stations, is known for its horror. Both human and the supernatural, the 7th, uh, the 7th District Police Station was built in 1888, response to violence and crime in the area known for harsh living conditions. Soon the police station, the police, oh, soon the police force began earning a reputation for being a being as brutal as the neighborhood the offices were tasked with protecting. Over the years, the station in the district collected a variety of foreboding nicknames. The Maxwell Street House, the Old, Ro- the Old Red Fortress, Bloody Maxwell, the uh, Wicked Police District, and the, the most wickedest police station in the world. Uh, if negative emotions and physical energy attract spirits, the 7th Street Police Station might be considered a special a spiritual lighthouse. According to the uh, Chicago Hauntings Tour Guide and host of, the, uh, of a local TV show there, the crowds of prisoners who once occupied cells in the Maxwell Street Station have been heard over the years. And a woman dressed in black, turn-of-the-century clothing, has been cited by the police and civilians around the Maxwell Street uh, Police Station. The the Chicago Police Department moved out of the station in 1998 and currently houses the University of Illinois Police Department. The building might be known as a haunted landmark to residents, but people of a certain age consist of the city might recognize it is the station seen during the opening credits of the TV series Hill Street Blues. Oh, I grew up watching that show as a kid. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Huh. Pretty cool. Okay. Our next little uh, station here (coughs) is the Apala headquarters in in Honolulu. Well, I'm sorry. This is way out of Chicago's way. This is in in... Honolulu. It's an island over there by Hawaii, I believe. <coughs> oh, God. Hawaii doesn't Hawaii doesn't seem like a natural backdrop for the for hauntings. With its sun with its sunshine lush tropical surroundings. But the Honolulu Police Department has had its share of unexplained experiences, and it hasn't been shy about them. For the past several years and around Halloween, the department has released videos that let their officers tell tell and retell their own on-the-job real-life ghost stories. Some of the tales take place on calls, Others, however, have been set in in stations. Where did I go? Dang it. The department told... Where'd I go? Okay. Residents to their own job, a real-life ghost experience. Some of the uh, tales, of, tales take place on calls. Others, however, have been set in stations. With one location, it's Alapala headquarters having more than its share of eerie experiences opened in 1992 the apollo headquarters was built near a cemetery a combination that screams for ghost encounters to tip it off as a relatively new guy i used to laugh at these senior officers who would tell us stories of the cells of the cell blocks being haunted officers uh, in 2014 installment about the main police station i mean seriously how could the uh, building be haunted working the graveyard shift an officer was checking the holding cells and doing a head count that's when he's 
That's when he came across an open cell door, which normally meant the cell was empty. But then he checked inside. He spotted someone sleeping. The officer quickly shut and locked the cell door and went to alert the uh, other officer. When I told her what I saw, she laughed at me and said I was uh, hallucinating. He was uh, there, I swear. She said... She said she just did a head count a few minutes earlier and everything checked out. Lloyd went back to the cell, went back to the cell with the uh, officer by his side. The door was still locked. Oh, the door was still locked like, like the officer had left it. But when he opened it, he discovered it was empty and he had no way to explain it. The officer isn't alone when it comes to uncomfortable uncomfortable moments at the uh, headquarters. Another officer working in the cell block heard someone calling her despite all these uh, cells being empty. Away from the holding cells, a veteran dispatch believed she had a, a supernatural but familiar office mate while she was training at the station. In a 2020 video, the officer has been a dispatch. The officer who was uh, who has been a dispatch with the department for over 30 years explained. However, she felt different working there one day. Then she started hearing tapia typing in the office, even though she was alone. She peered over into the next uh, cubicle, and it was empty. Then she returned to her work, but still had the feeling that, feeling that she wasn't the only one in the office. That's when the spooky shoe finally dropped. So I continued working, and I could literally feel like it's, it's breathing almost against my cheek. And you know, I was freaking out at the point. After a few more freaky encounters, she asked a couple co-workers if she had any experience if they had any experienced experiences similar and stranger than hers. Not only did her colleagues share their stories, but they had a name for the uh, strange events, sweetie. This is how they referred to Dispatch, who was worked with uh, Fumunya. That's what they call the chick, Fumunya. They call her sweetie. She passed away, and it was kind of sad. A lot of us missed her, but now that I think about it, this makes sense. She would be the only only one the only who uh, she would be the only one who kind of picked up after us and checked on us and make sure we were okay. Other days when I would have to be working by myself and I did not hear some tapping on the back door. I figured it was just sweet, uh, just a uh, sweetie helping. So she still likes to haunt the place. It sounds like to me. It sounds like to me. Here's a little bit more I got on the Bloody Maxwell Street Police Station. Excuse me. Sorry. About it's a. Uh, about a five-minute walk from current address, Maxwell Street, on the UIC campus, there is the UIC police station located adjust to the school's soccer and baseball fields. Looking at it from the outside, you would think it was like any other normal building in Chicago. Judging from the architectural, architectural work, it is easy to tell the building is uh, fairly old, but the university has clearly... Spent some money on keeping the building maintained. The building with its red printed bricks was actually one of the most feared police stations during the 1980s and early 1900s for the immigrants living in the area. The red bricks of today are more of a remembrance of its former self, then known as Bloody Maxwell. After the hay, after the hay market booming chicago upped its police force and established two new stations one of which was maxwell street 
the Maxwell force was primarily primarily to counter unrest of workers in the area and to keep the ever-growing immigrants population under control. Once the Black Hand became a dominant force with the city, murder rates established dramatically and dramatically went down, popul- population under control. Oh, they, uh, anyways, they kept the crime down and kept the population under control is what they're trying to say. Once the Black Hand became, oh, dumbass. By this end, immigrants are afforded to decay. Beginning, uh, okay. Both threats of being killed and being thrown in the uh, dungeon of the local police station was scary for most of the neighbor neighbors in the area. By this, by this time, by this time, it had become well known for the uh, new station, new station's basement cells were rat infested and submerged in inch deep trowels that was uh, the prisoners' urinals. Ew. Prisoners who were uh, brought to the jail often lacked the money to buy their own way out and instead were beaten nearly to death. Their blood flew, uh, flew, uh, their blood flowed along the urine in the covered floor. In 1921, the city health commissioner, Herman Butson, even declared the condition of the jail the worst in the entire city. The police station was one of the most corrupt in the city as uh, Taylor Street became the heart of the bootlegging industry. On-duty officers would tribute in a frequent basis to turn a blind eye on the events taking place. Once Captain Captain William Russell was assigned to the district, the scandals began to be broken and over 200 officers were transferred to different districts. Finally, in 1997, the police station, now the oldest city at Oh, the oldest in the city at 110 years old closed down until the University of Illinois College, I guess that says, reopened its doors as the university's new police station headquarters. Many people would know it from their from its signature image in the show Hill Street Blues. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that first one. Even though it took up half the damn show. All right. What do we have next? Let me do a quick commercial break and I'll be right back, guys. Well, how's everybody doing today? It's your good old friend Uncle Dickie from Borderline Texas Trash. The most popular podcast in the world today. It's climbing up the charts faster than freaking slime on a stein, baby. Well, if you're wondering, what the hell is Borderline Texas Trash about? And who is this some bitch Uncle Boo? Well, Uncle Boo is the most recognizable voice in podcasting today, baby. We're going to get funky like a monkey on some ton of greens. I'm coming in on white lightning, baby, on a silver saddle to bring you the best of Borderline Texas Trash, baby. I'm your host of the show, Uncle Boo. We go over everything. We do a little bit of politics at the end, but not much. I don't step into that bullshit a whole lot. But we have fun. I go over stupid world news of the day, talk about uh, stuff from the past, what the cost of living or stuff was like that. And we just talk about all sorts of fucking fun facts, do a little joking around. And my niece joins the show sometimes. We do a little segment called Ash Handy's Garage on Friday nights, baby. That's our live show we do sometimes. And then I got the uncle that I talked to down in uh, Boothville, Louisiana. And he calls sometimes. And we have a little show called Uncle Dickie's Kona. So you guys come check out Texas Borderline, Borderline Texas Trash, baby. I know you will love it. We are on every platform you can think of. Spotify, Stitcher. Pandora, iHeart, 
Uh, I mean, we're on everything. We're even on Podbean, man. We even got our own YouTube channel. We even got an Instagram account, and we got our Facebook account. So go check us out, man, and come listen to the show. You'll get to listen to Ash Handy, Uncle Boo, Uncle Dickie, and all the most recognizable voices in this motherfucking podcast in the world today, babies. Because we will we get funky like a monkey, I guarantee it. Let's just say, baby, I've wine and dine with kings and queens, slept in dumpsters, ate pork and beans, baby. But I am your host of the show, Uncle Boo, Borderline Texas Trash. Don't forget about it. If you want to listen to a show to just get your mind off this crazy world and all the COVID and politics bullshit, <coughs> come check my show out. Come check me and my crazy family out. Some of the shit we do, we do live uh, shows from the barbecue. So I'll see you later. Bye. All right, guys and gals. Our next story is the old Charleston jail. The old Charleston jail is a historical landmark. The old Charleston jail was built in 1802. And in 1802 on land originally reserved for public use when South Carolina was established. The prison shared the groups with a, well, shared the grounds with a hospital, workhouse, and a poorhouse. The large building functioned, the large building functioned as a prison until 1939. During that time, the prisoners would, the prisoners, prisoners would house countless criminals that left their mark on history. Originally, the Stanley Building, or originally the Stately Building, consisted of four stories: a two-story octagonal tower set atop it, providing a spinning view, a spinning view of the uh, Burgoning City. By 1855, the building had to had to be even further expanded to grow its oh, excuse me excuse me its uh, population for the prisoners was was growing area architect area uh, area architects were tasked with the jail's renovation they added a large rear rear wing to the building to create more cells for the growing inmate population. They also added uh, a Roman squire reveal details, giving the building its dramatic and gothic appearance. Unfortunately, the 1966 earthquake badly damaged the structure. The tower had to be removed from the... had to be removed from the top. The highest of the buildings, four stories, was also destroyed. Much of the work that Barbot and much of the work that the two architects did put into the structure was undone by the disaster. Despite the damage, the jail continued to house inmates. It remains in operation up until 1939, serving as a backdrop to the dramatic stories of its many inmates. Okay. Our next little story is Denmark Vassy led a revolt at the haunted jail. Denmark... Denmark Vassy is in, infamous for leave, leading a slave upspring uprising in Charleston. His ability to read his carpentry skills made him a leader in the black community. His followers strongly believed in his bold mission to free slaves and let them oh and let and lead them to refuge. Vasey was born into slavery but became a free man at the age of 32. He was first owned by a man in Bar, uh, Bermuda 
then was later bought to brought to Charleston. It was there that Vassie won the lottery that gave him the uh, chance to purchase his own freedom. He helped to uh, found he he helped to found to found to fund he helped to fund the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. The church grew quickly as it did his followers quickly growing quickly growing to nearly 2000 members it gave him the per- the perfect the perfect podium network to plan his uh, slave rev- uh, revolt in 1882 vassy hatched a plan that included killing slaves killing slave owners in order to liberate their slaves. There were thousands of slaves, both in the city of Charleston and on nearby uh, plantations. Vassie's goal was to free the slaves and ship them to their, uh, ship them to freedom in uh, Haiti. However, the, uh, oh, okay. However, the the uh, military, which is kind of like, I guess, a militia, like a little army, a mob of people, I think that's what it is. Anyways, caught wind of the caught wind of Vassy and his followers. Shame before it. Uh, shame before it was uh, planned to begin on July fourteenth, in eighteen twenty two. The group's leaders were arrested in, on June 22nd of 1822. The workhouse on the prison grounds became the scene for the trials against the leaders of the revolt. Vassy and five slaves were tried in, in secret without a, a jury. The men were all sentenced to death by hanging on July 2nd of 1822. Over the years, 30 more of Vassy's followers were also executed. The church that Vassy worked so hard to establish was later disbanded by the city. Many believe that Vassy lived out his last days of his life in the tower of the old uh, Charleston jail. He sat in wait for his ex- execution, looking over the, over the city that had unfortunately demised him. It's no wonder that his tortured spirit might still haunt the grounds where these where he spent his final hours. God, see that would be messed up, having to wait for your death. And too back then we were so backwards, you know, so racist and shit. But I ain't getting into that. This is a ghost story podcast. Yeah, it's just crazy though. How our, how we thought back then. Pretty stupid. One of the evilest pirates of the time had to stay at the Charleston City Jail from 1825 to 1827. Alexander Tardy was a ruthless French pirate that had an infinity for poisoning his victims. He ended up in jail after a failed attempt to steal a uh, pilot boat. Tardy moved to Charlotte in October of 1825, pretending he was a dentist to scam his residents. On November the 18th, Tardy enlisted two crew members to help him steal the pilot boat. However, the owners of the boats caught him and fiercely defended their property. Tardy tried to escape. When firing his pistol at them, however, he was caught and tried for his crime. He was convicted of the attempted uh, theft on March 3rd of 1825. He would go on to serve a two-year term to the Charleston City Jail. After Tardy's relief, release, <laughs> he fled to Cuba. Unchanged by, by his time at the Charleston Jail, he returned to his life of crime. He continued to steal boats and poison victims to seize their property. Tardy would later take his own life. He slit his own throat and his body was found in the captain's quarters. 
He was apparently buried at sea, face down at a low tide, at a low tide mark. It said that his release. It said that his restless soul continues to travel and wreak havoc on on victims. Pretty crazy. Next little story about the jail is the Fishers. The Fishers were kept at the Charleston jail. John and Lavana Fisher were likely the most infamous prisoners of the old Charleston jail. The couple was a truly unique and haunting story. Their bizarre personalities and the dynamics of their imprisonment have several left uh, have surely left their mark on the jail Lavena Fisher has made her mark on history by becoming the first female serial killer in the United States she and her husband crazed plot the uh, plot to let the uh, deaths of many unknowing visitors to their end. It's still unknown how many murders they are responsible for. However, Lavena continued to reveal her evilness right up to her death. Wow, what a crazy bitch. Here's another story. Twisted Shame of the Fishers. Okay, this is talking about them too. They owned a owned an inn six miles out of town, apparently named Six Mile House. The inn the inn was also a hangout for many devious gang members and outlaws. Its location also made it a prime stopping point for business and tradesmen en route to inn from uh, business trips. The Fishers con- connected on a uh, outlandish plan. Oh, the Fishers concocted an outlandish plan, fueled purely by their greed. The Lavana was a beautiful, alerting, and knew how to get men to notice her. This allowed her to successfully invite those wealthy travelers into the inn to make them feel or to make them feel at ease. Little did they know it would be their final destination. Final destination. Remember that movie? That's why I don't like uh, going out of my house. Something might happen. Nah, I'm just kidding. Lavana served the man cups of tea made with toxic uh, old lander. The concoction would make them drowsy, dra- would make them drowsy, and they would retire to their rooms to fall into a deep sleep. This is when John, her hubby, would take action and rob them of any valuables or cash that they were traveling with. After robbing them, John Lavea would uh, were taking any chances. Of getting caught, they would ensure the men ne- that never left the six mile house to tell others about the crime. Oh, wait. Okay, yeah. Anyways, after robbing them, John and okay, chances they would never. Okay, the Fishers decide. Okay, the Fishers decided that murdering their victims was the best way to ensure they could continue their crime of uh, their crime spree. Some stories say that John would stab the victims to death. Others believe that there was a uh, trap door under the inn's bed that would drop the victims to the cellar. Either way, it is said that the corpse the corpse of many of the inn's guests ended up in a in a deep be- uh, Deep below the inn.
Okay. I think that's it. Going to read this little thing right here real quick. The American College of the Building Arts took over the Charleston Jail property in 2000. They created a preservation plan in an attempt to ensure that the structure remained intact. This was difficult because of the unique structure and the skills needed to preserve it. The college moved out moved out in 2016 when the grounds were sold to private to a private developer. <coughs> However, the structure remains a historical landmark. It is an ongoing project of the uh, National Trust of Historical Preservation. All right, so it's really going to be uh, haunted after all them reservations because, you know, people, them uh, ghostly people love to go there. All right, we got we got time for one more. This one's a shorty. You know, I might just do both of my, sh I don't know. We'll see. Charleston, Old Montana. Okay. All right. Our next one <coughs> is the Old Montana State Prison. Built in, built in 1871, the Montana State Prison served first as the territorial prison. And from... 1879 as the Montana State Prison until it closed in 1979. God dang, that thing opened for a was open for a hundred years. No, yeah, right over a hundred years. A year after last, a year after last inmates moved out of the prison building, it reopened and then it reopened as a museum and tourist attraction. During more than a century of work, or then during more than a century as a working prison, the building was uh, was some to the worst criminals. Oh, was home was home to some of the worst criminals, and bore witness to, to some of the worst the worst uh, killers known to man. Murders were not uncommon here. There were riots, fires, and brutal violence within the prison well into the 20th century. Not all the inmates were violent, however. One of the most fancy or one of the most fantastic prisoners to be incarcerated here was Paul Inter. Inter. He was sentenced to life in prison in 1918 as he remembered as the only prisoner to occupy his particular cell in the life of the in the life of the prisoner. During his time the prison during his time in the prison he became insane but his madness was humored by the staff and other inmates. The print fake money for him, which allowed him to buy the prison and pay the wages of all the staff. It, uh, it, enter, in Turner, uh, anyways. That guy, uh, lived in the same cell until his death. So, man, he lived, he got, he got stuck in there in 1918, 1918, and he died in 1967. That's freaking a long time in prison that's half your fucking life after his uh, death the cell was transformed into the prisoner's barber shop and many of those who worked there claimed that the old prisoner never truly left the cell but his presence can be felt there today other tales of prisoners Life are less humorous. The more recent killings, stabbings, and riots were well documented, and the uh, horrors that may have happened during the early days of the prison can only be questioned at. Prison life was fre frequently brutal, and perhaps this has caused the spirits of so many prisoners 
to linger within the walls. They once called home. They have been there have been many paranormal encounters throughout the prison's buildings. The most frequent reported uh, occurrence that one of the disembodied footsteps echoing down the desert corridors while unexplained voices coming from the empty rooms have often been reported by both investigators and museum staff. The area in the prison with the most accounts of unusual activity is the solitary confinement area. Well, you got to think about this now. This is like in, in every prison I've ever covered, they say that the uh, cell, the uh, the hole, <coughs> is some of the most haunted places. Think about it. Some people died there. Some people lost their fucking minds in these places because you're stuck in the bottom of this building in a bot in a in a basement. But it's little little. It's a little room, and they shut that thick door, and bam, you're stuck in that darkness for fucking days. You know that's why they called it the hole. So when you hole, so when you screwed up, you got thrown in the hole. So yeah, so I mean. Just think about the the damage it did to people's brains when they came out of there. I mean, Jesus. Can you imagine being in pitch dark for just days on end? Sometimes they'd be in there for a month. It's fucking crazy. Uh, where was they at? The hole, the hole, the hole. Oh, okay. Yeah, they call it consolatory confinement because you were solitary. You were by yourself. Other visitor, where was I at, you silly son of a... This part of the prison has seen multiple claims of visitors being overcame with an unnerving sensitivity or even being, excuse me, shoved out of the dark, darkened spaces. <laughs> Excuse me. Other visitors have had unseen people push past them to escape from the hole. Or I have heard someone whispering to them in a voice too, too quiet to understand. So, if you're ever around that there, go check the old, old Montana State Prison out. Well, well, my Friendly, friendly guys and gals. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed that today. Like I said, I'm done with prisons for a while. Probably just go back to finding shit again. So, hey, there's so many, there's so much stuff out there that's haunted. So, I don't think I can ever run out of material. But I just want to say thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Y'all have a great rest of your week. Have a great spooky, scary weekend. And it's getting time, guys. Go camping, telling scary stories. <laughs> but just want to say thank you to everybody for listening and subscribing and downloading. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. But this has been Stephen LeBooth with Ghost Stories Told from the South. <laughs> we will see you guys later.